At Forest Hill Church, our mission is to build bridges that connect everyone to dynamic life in Christ. Building bridges requires a strong foundation, so we stand on the essentials of our faith. What are those essentials? Number one, we keep Jesus first. We believe that we should imitate Christ in everything we do. Number two, we prioritize the gospel. Jesus gave his life to save us from our sins. We believe that this good news should be shared with everyone. Number three, we are rooted in the authority of scripture. We believe that God's word is alive and active. It is the firm foundation upon which everything we do is built. As we work towards our mission, standing firm on the essentials of faith, we envision a day when Charlotte is transformed by its connection to dynamic life in Christ. Good morning, everybody, and whether you are with me or I'm with you in person at one of our campuses or online, I really mean it when I say welcome, and I am so glad to be with you. Uh, My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and in case you don't know, I've been out for the last four weeks, um, and I want to tell you a little bit about that. I uh, had a knee replacement surgery a month ago. Uh, which was long needed um, and, and really, really important. And that thing was going so well, like really, really good for about two and a half weeks of recovery and everything was great. And, uh, and I was on track to be back with you guys two weeks ago. And then COVID hit our house. And, uh, and several of the folks in our family, including me, got that and got to deal with that for a couple of fun, really few weeks. And I say all that to let you know first, I know it's weird whenever somebody you're used to seeing pre-regularly is gone and everybody's like, what happened to him? Uh, or maybe you didn't think that and that's great, especially if you're new. Uh, but I-, I am just excited to be back with you because being at home isolated in one room for a month has not been my like idea of 2021 starting off well. So, but while I was doing that, I spent a good bit of time actually being forced to just do the basics, like the essentials of what it means to be human. It was really interesting. All I could do and all I actually needed to do was sleep, eat, and breathe. And sometimes that was actually difficult. And I realized in the middle of that time that those essentials of being a human Um, they are necessary to begin to build whatever kind of life you and I want, but they're not only necessary like the physical realm, there are essential, some basics that we build our spiritual life on as well. And it got me thinking about this message that we're doing today, where we're talking about the values, the things that we as a church embrace and want to embody most as we go about our mission. Some of you know that a couple of years ago, we went through this process of thinking new about how do we say who we are and what we're about, what we do. We got a brand new mission statement. And the statement itself is, I think, unique to us, but it's not different than any other church should have. Our mission is this, that we're building bridges that connect everyone to dynamic life in Christ. The basics of our faith is that we believe God offers us a life that he always intended. It's found through Jesus and that by making relationships and connections, we can help everybody come and find that life and come into that kingdom. And so that's what we're going to be about. But there are specific ways that every church chooses to go about that work. And so we landed after prayer and conversation with lots of you and our council and elders and and officers of the church, we landed on these four values. And we're going to spend time this year, one week, every once in a while, going through each of these values. Because it's real important that we talk about what makes us, as a community, who we are, 
But also these values apply to you and I as individual followers of Christ too. And so these four values are that we first stand on the essentials. Today's message is going to be all about explaining what that means. Second, that we cultivate kingdom diversity. Third, that we are going to engage who's next. Like the next generation matters. And we're going to put our eggs into the basket of making sure we reach and pass faith on to them. And then finally, that we bring our best. And so over the course of this year, if you stick around, you'll get a chance to hear what we mean by each of those. Today, I want to take the first, standing on the essentials. I want to explain what we mean by that. And then I want to give some application that might help you understand and me understand how we put it into practice. And then I'm going to give us a chance to respond to the truth that's found in this first point. But as I do, I want you to think about something, maybe a, a metaphor for how we're going to go through the day, a, a, a set of hooks, a framework for you to think about the content that I'm about to give you. And it's this, it's the idea of building a house. You, you know, when you build a, a structure, a physical house, that there are some things, some essentials that you got to have. You got to have a, a foundation that's solid and secure. You got to put a floor on top of that foundation that allows people to move within the house and provide kind of a, a, uh, a firm and flat, even surface, or you got problems. And then you put up walls and roof that provide structure, that provides protection. And I want you to think today, as I talk about the essentials, about how we would build a life of faith or a house of faith in using that same metaphor, the foundation, the floor, the walls, and the roof. And as we go through the time today, I think that you'll find that while it's simple, as most things following Jesus are, it's not always easy. But the benefit, the payoff, the life that is given on the other side is worth every minute. So we're going to start by talking about standing on these essentials. Here's what we mean. But the three things that are a part of standing on the essentials are these. First, we keep Jesus first. And this order matters. Number one, we keep Jesus first. Second, we prioritize the gospel. I'm gonna explain what that is in just a moment because that's one of those kind of churchy words that sometimes the meaning gets lost because we just all think everybody else knows what it means. And then third, we are gonna stay rooted in the authority of scripture. This is what it means for Forest Hill to stand on the essentials and what we invite you to be a part of. I'm gonna invite you now to stand and we're gonna read our first part of scripture together. So if you're able, wherever you are at any campus, even online in your living room or here in this room, would you stand? We're gonna be reading from Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 17. In this passage, Paul is writing about Jesus. I'm gonna begin with this idea of keeping him first. And Paul gives us a glimpse. It's poetry, it's beautiful. It's this cosmic picture of who King Jesus is. And it's really important as we think about what it means to keep him first. So share with me, read with me these words. Colossians 1 verse 15. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Listen to these words. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is God's word. You can be seated. 
When Paul writes these words and he gives us a picture, a, a glimpse of who Jesus is and why we should put him first, uh, he begins by telling us that he's the image of the invisible God. Real quick, the word there means that he is the exact replica the perfect picture of who God is. Many of us have this concept of God and, and because he's spirit and we haven't seen him face to face, sometimes it's hard to understand really what he's like. But Jesus, equally God, who came in flesh and lived among us on this earth, he shows us exactly what God was like. So if you wanna know what God thinks or how he would respond or act, the way he thinks about you or me or what's happening in the world, you take a look at Jesus, and whatever he does is what God would do, the exact representation of God. And then he goes on to say this word, and it's interesting in English, it doesn't quite work as well as it's probably meant when Paul was writing, but he says he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, we know that Jesus was a particular person born at a specific time and place in history, and he wasn't the first human. So Paul's not talking about the fact that he was in chronology, the firstborn. What Paul is saying is that is because of his connection to God, he is in first place, supreme importance. It's kind of like, I was thinking this week, it's kind of like the idea of, uh, of the first lady. When the president comes into the office, we call his wife the first lady of the White House, right? Now, it's not because we're confused that she's the first person who ever lived there. And maybe one day we'll have a first dude or first husband or whatever we would call it. But the reason that they're called the first lady is because of their connection to the power. Because of Jesus' divine connection as God, he gets first place of importance. And then Paul goes on to say that this primary, supreme God who had put on flesh and become human does a whole bunch of things. Like he mentions in there the fact that all of creation happened through him. Have you ever thought, especially if you grew up in church and maybe you've read the Genesis story, you know, we, we talk about the fact that God in the very beginning spoke and the world comes into existence. Everything that we see, the planets, the stars, our planet, all of it, and with a word, it comes into being. Have you ever thought that the voice that resounded throughout the universe at that moment was the voice of Jesus himself? The same voice who some thousands of years later would come and in person would walk around and would say, the kingdom of heaven is here. And it's available to you right now that would say, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. That voice, Jesus, is the creative force and power behind the entire universe. This is why we keep him first, because he deserves it. If anybody can do everything and create all that we see, he should be in first place. That's why our church isn't organized around a particular set of preferences or worship style. It's not about the community that we're in primarily or what you and I like. We are keeping Jesus first as the gravitational center of who we are because he deserves it. He's the point of the entire universe. He's its origin point. He's its end point. He's the purpose. In fact, you and I have a, an existence only in relationship to him. And I know some of us don't like that idea. You know, we really want to think about we're in control of our own destiny and we're the masters. And, and it feels like we get to make choices, but we only even make choices because he allows it. Jesus, we're told, holds the orbits of the planets together. And despite the second law of thermodynamics, we actually see our universe still operating the way it does because he wants it to. Do you understand the importance of 
keeping Jesus first. This is who we mean. Paul would go on to say, not only was he the creator of all of it, and I think of this idea sometimes when I imagine him walking the streets of Jerusalem in the, in the first century AD, and I imagine that he's walking up these dusty hills and he's sitting beside the sea that he created himself and the humility that he chose to operate to be a part of his very creation. Do you know why he did? Because when creation went wrong, when we rebelled and everything was about to fall apart, instead of the creator deciding to just trash it all and start over, he said, no, I will reconcile it all back to myself. I will redeem it all. I will step in where no one's capable and I will be the solution to the problem. That's Jesus. So we give him our obedience, our everything. It's, it's interesting because when you think about this idea, it's, it's like, okay, great, Paul, that's really big, cosmic, universal language. And I was trying to figure out, how do I explain this for you and me? Because we really need a faith that works on like Tuesday in your house. You know what I mean? So how would it look like to say, I keep Jesus first as a person? And I thought maybe the best way to talk about it, to illustrate it, is to show you the opposite. And so I thought about this. Uh, imagine the, the perfect marriage. Like, if it's not yours, don't say it out loud right now. And maybe not even somebody you've ever seen, but imagine a perfect marriage where each spouse completely, 100% gives self-sacrificially of themselves to the other to make sure that the needs are met and they prioritize and put in place. You know, scripture tells us that Jesus uh, thinks of us as his bride, the church. We are his spouse and he's the perfect husband. So imagine in our hypothetical marriage, imagine the night before the wedding uh, the couple gets together and, and the husband says, look, um, you know, I'm really excited about tomorrow. It's going to be a great day. Flowers, fantastic. Everything looks good. Um, but uh, there's probably a couple of things. And, and, and I'm really, really super excited about, you know, the benefits of us being married and it getting official and all that. But like, could we go ahead and talk tonight a little about like, what are the minimum requirements for us to stay married after tomorrow? What, like what's... What's the least amount that I have to do to keep us out of divorce court? Clearly, you don't expect to be like up here, right? So like in the priority of career and hobbies, my friends, uh, money, maybe like my sexual desires, would you be okay being like fourth or fifth? Tomorrow's gonna be great. Can you imagine that type of, cosmic prenup with the one that I just described? No. When we don't keep Jesus first, though, that's typically the way that many of us come into this Christianity religion thing because we think it's all about, Jesus, I really like this idea of heaven and especially getting out of the hell side. That's great. Got it. And you threw in that extra benefit of like the emergency number when I'm in a jam. Super. Pray when I need you. Now can we talk about where you can fit and where you don't? That's how too many people approach the cosmic king of the universe with a cosmic prenuptial agreement. And what we're saying is not perfectly yet, but as a church, we are willing to say we keep him first and in his place. Secondly, we prioritize the gospel. The gospel is this good news message. It's the announcement that Jesus gave and that all the apostles and the rest of scripture uh, agrees to. The announcement 
that the kingdom of God, life with God himself is now open and available to everybody, no matter your background, failures, successes, your race, your ethnicity, your economic status, all of it. It's wide open for everybody. And that gospel message is built on a concept called grace. Let me read to you from Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. Here's the best news that you're gonna hear all week. You are saved by grace. It's the message of the gospel. Jesus is the foundation of the house that we're building. He's the solid preeminent one underneath. But the gospel becomes in my little metaphor like the floor that we place on top of that. It's the floor of grace and mercy that says every one of us are welcome to come in. It's because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, his perfect living up to the standards and the intention of God for human, and then his unjust, innocent death and his resurrection that makes it possible for everybody to come in. This is our, our message. This is our mission, building bridges to allow everybody to say, I will take that. The, the invitation of the gospel is that no matter who and where you are, come in, come find, come follow, come taste and see. So we prioritize that message above everything else. Not because there aren't other things to say, because, but because it's the most important message we have to give. In fact, it's the only message that followers of Jesus actually have that's unique. Lots of people come up with rules around morality. Lots of people come up with ways to serve their community and, and a social club to be a part of. Only those who follow Jesus have this message of it's wide open the door to life with God, come in and follow. So we prioritize that. And that becomes our floor. And then thirdly, we stay rooted in the authority of scripture. And, and I know as I'm talking about this, some of you are probably like, man, this is, this is great, I agree. But it's important for us to remember who we are, especially at this moment, because culture around us, there are lots of, lots of places of confusion and arguments, and, and we got then our own experience and pain and worldview, and, and all that can tend to, to confuse us about what's most important. So this message, this ability to understand who we are and our identity at its core is really important. And the scriptures are a huge part of what that means. Here's what Paul, writing to a guy named Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 says, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we keep Jesus first. We have a message called the gospel. And then we take this Bible, this word of God, his, it's the record of what he's doing and has done in history to rescue us. It's where history is going. It's the, the intention of what human life is supposed to look like. It's the guardrails and the boundaries to help us find the flourishing freedom he says is possible. You know, many of us think about this idea of freedom, and often we want to say that freedom, now this is, this is unreflected, but often we think freedom just means no limits, right? No rules, just right. No restrictions, you're not the boss of me. Freedom means I make it all 
the, all the rules, I have all the authority. But we know, particularly those of us that are parents of teenagers or that have been teenagers, we know that ultimate freedom is not found in no boundaries. Ultimately, the flourishing life that we want is found within the boundaries of healthy, proper living. That's where the most that you can get is found. That's what this does for us. God says, I have a specific way I've designed you and the universe to work. And if you will follow this, and if you will look at the stories of those who chose to do exactly what I said and how it played out, and then also look at the stories that he wasn't ashamed to keep them in here of those who chose to do differently, David, Solomon, right? You can find, even if you don't have the specific piece of advice or instruction for your particular situation, you can find everything that you need to know how to live the life that I've given you. It helps correct our thinking when it's off. It illuminates God's plan. It allows us to keep each other in check and moving in the right direction. Because this is ultimately the truth. Scripture is trustworthy and it's mistake-free. That's what we believe. That's, that's sometimes the words inerrant and infallible are used. That's what it means. That there's no mistakes in here and that it will always truthfully and trustworthily lead you to the life God promises. In fact, I would tell you this, that if you are following Jesus you can be absolutely certain of two things, okay? Absolutely 100% certain of two things. One, you are moving in the right direction. If we follow Jesus, he never leads us astray. He never takes us off course. It's always in the direction of our good and the flourishing of both us and all those around us. You can be certain you're moving in the right direction and you can be clear that you have not reached your destination. Right, Every single one of us knows when we began to open up the scripture from your first day as a believer through a 50-year career following Jesus, we all know there are parts of our life that don't line up with what he says. So here's what we have to do when that happens. And it happens for every one of us in all kinds of different ways and in different seasons. We have to look at it and say, we keep Jesus first, which means when he says this is the way it is, even if I don't agree, I say yes. When he says, when he commands something, even if I don't understand it, I obey and submit. When he takes and pushes me and leads in a certain direction, it means I follow even if I don't get the destination, right? This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is why that whole idea of a prenuptial and finding Jesus a spot between priority six and seven doesn't work. So we keep him first prioritize the gospel, and stand on the authority of scripture. Stay rooted in it. And, and here's why that's so important. There's this quote I want to share with you real quick before I make a, a specific example and application. And it's from uh, Eugene Peterson. He writes this about the Bible, and he says, history is important, for without it, we are at the mercy of whims. Memory's a data bank we use to evaluate our position and to make decisions. You know this is true for you. You think back through how that worked out last time. What do I need to do next? With a biblical memory, with the, the scripture, we have 2,000 years of experience from which to make the off-the-cuff responses that are required each day in the life of faith. If, if we are going to live adequately and maturely as the people of God, we need more data to work from than our own experience can give us. 
a mentor of mine talking about not the life of faith, but something else called something like this, letting me have him pay my dumb tax. You know what I'm talking about? Learn from the mistakes of other people. They've already experienced the consequences of failing to do what's right. So don't do it yourself and learn the lesson again. What, the, what Eugene Peterson is saying in this is whenever we are faced with something we're not sure what to do, like when culture shifts or when the pressure from without says, do this, think this, be that, we can go back to scripture and say, how did that work before? We have this data bank of how God has across cultures, continents, and centuries shown us to find the life he requires. You with me? This makes sense? That's the content. Here's the application. What happens when you're keeping Jesus first, prioritizing the gospel and staying rooted in the authority of scripture, when you read a verse like, let's say this, Psalm 139, it says, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, your eyes saw my unformed body and all my days were ordained for me, written in your book before one of them came to be. Right now, there's a whole lot of question and confusion and positions around what you would call the sanctity of life. As a person who's trying to keep Jesus first and stay rooted in the authority of scripture and prioritize the gospel, when I read those words, I am to understand that God is saying that he created life. In fact, before, according to the psalmist, before the mother even knew it was there, he was in the process of knitting. We believe this to be called that life begins at conception. And so when you talk about an issue like the sanctity of life, and the reason that I'm, I'm bringing this up is some of you have had questions about where we stand on this, and, and I know that right now this is a hot topic. I, I want to make sure that I'm very clear on what I mean and what our church means by our position here. When you take up the issue of the sanctity of life, the topic, you have to look at the whole of Scripture and say, what does God say about it? And here's what we find over and over in the record of Scripture. That every single life from the preborn to natural death in every phase, stage, economic setting, ethnic background, legal status, every life has value and dignity simply because it's made in the image of God. Could there be something that imparts more worth than being made in the very image of the one that we just read about? So as I have to and you have to align myself to what does God say about this, even if I don't fully understand it, even if my experience or worldview or preference pushes against, I begin to say, God, you're right. Now what do I do? The sanctity of life is one of those issues, particularly when you talk about uh, the practice of abortion. It's one of those things that gets co-opted so often by maybe like one side of a political spectrum. And I want you to know that when I'm talking about this issue um, as a leadership for your church, the, the ordained pastors and the elders and those who are leadership, we all believe the same way we agree on this. Not everything do we agree on. Uh, in the life and practice of a church or a person. But on these topics, the essentials, we all agree. 
It does not mean that I believe or even think that all of you, wherever you are, however you're watching, however you're part of this, that you all agree with this at this point. In fact, I would say if we ever have a church where everyone completely agrees on all of these issues, either we're already in heaven and we don't know it yet, or we're not doing a very good job at our mission. Because the expectation is that every single one of us are on a journey to understanding God's intention for us and allowing ourselves to submit to what he says is right. So when we talk about sanctity of life, and this is a real, I know it's sensitive. I know for some it's painful because this is not just an idea or a principle. In fact, in the community of faith, when we allow things to stay at just the idea level, and they don't become personal, we're not loving well and extending grace. It's easy to have a position or make a statement. It's difficult, but it's God-honoring and kingdom to be a part of a solution. And so do we stand for life absolutely in all of its forms? Preborn, the mother or father who after that decision to abort a pregnancy is dealing with guilt and shame, we stand for that too, for them. Do we stand for those whose status is seen as illegal? Absolutely. Do we stand for people who aren't making the same choices that we would make or maybe have had to make some choices that in our context and experience we haven't ever had to do? Absolutely. We stand for life all the way from the beginning to the end. Because God does. So we protect and value and defend it all. And you know what that also means? Is that for those who are a part of this community or even just the service today, that this is a part of your story. It means we stand for you as well and believe that there is healing and reconciliation and redemption and grace for all of that because we stand on a common floor of grace. We were all dead, remember, before he made us alive. Before we got the spiritual CPR and the breath of God in our lungs, none of us had a chance. We were all dead, it says, in our trespasses. So there's no room for judgment or pride in this community of faith. We're on level ground. We good on that? See, this issue extends to even stuff we've talked about before. If you want to talk about the sanctity of life, it is an issue of abortion, but it's also an issue of reconciliation among ethnic groups. How, how do you not say that we see the inherent value and dignity in people of another race or another ethnicity or another language and not say that's a part of the, the pro-life issue as well? And some people, when I talk about the, the pro-life side, the abortion side, you're like, yes, somebody's saying it. And some other people, when I talk about racial reconciliation, are like, yeah, somebody's saying it. Here's the thing. Those have been co-opted, especially politically, by Republican or Democratic parties. And they're not. And we're not. We look at this and say, rooted in the authority of Scripture, God says all life has value. And as I follow Jesus, I'm going to do the same thing. So we have to make some hard decisions with how we both respond to our personal settings and situations and how we treat other people. This whole idea that, that it's not just an idea, that it's a person is, is uh, close to me. It's sensitive to me. My, my mom, for most of my life, ran a crisis pregnancy center, one of the bravest women I know. And we had in our house babies who were in the process of being adopted or fostered for a time. And, 
She did everything to help moms who would choose life to be able to have what they need, the support and resources that they would find at her own expense sometimes and certainly with all of her life and energy. And, and she also did post-abortive counseling for women and for men who had made that choice and were now living with a secret, with the shame, with the guilt. And, and I know that's true for some of you because this isn't just an idea, it's, it's a person. For some, it's a memory. It's a moment, it's your story. And in all of that, she was so good at reminding me that if you're gonna stand for life, you gotta stand for life all the way. And she could do that from a place of power, I think, and stay on this principle because she herself had had an abortion before me. And she had to walk through that and then she was also told and almost went through that process with me. And I don't say that to try to like grab some kind of emotional currency. I say it that it's real people. And for you, maybe it's real people. Maybe it's your story. But I asked her yesterday if I could share some of this story here. And she's not here. And I said, you know, it's, it's a lot of people. And, and could I share that? And how far can I go? And she said, go all the way. Tell the whole story. Because... This is not just about being brave. Here's what I heard in that. She's found freedom. She's found release and redemption. And some of us, even if that is not your issue or the thing that you carry, maybe it's your addiction, maybe it's your addiction to pornography, maybe it's the adultery in your past, maybe it's your prideful use of your power and leverage to put somebody else. I don't know. We all are broken in all these areas, right? Every single one of us are broken across the spectrum. Uh, But can you imagine being so free that somebody could say, can I share your story? How far do I go? And they'd say like, go all the way. Man, that's why the grace and mercy of God in the gospel as this floor that is even for all of us is so important. It's why we're gonna be a church that doesn't just make statements, but is part of a kingdom solution. And so on the area of sanctity of life, we will speak up about reconciliation and equity and equality between people with different ethnic backgrounds. And we will also work to make sure that every person is seen through partners and through our own self. Well, every person is seen as having the image and dignity of God because they're human. And we'll also work to make sure that those who feel like they have to make a choice that, that does not line up with God's word on the sanctity of life, we're gonna say, we'll do anything we can to help you choose life. And part of it is we'll build a culture of adoption and fostering and support. And we use the dollars that we all give generously. They're God's anyway, that we bring in this place and we allow him to use it. We'll do that to support people who are making choices that you and I sometimes can't imagine. And we'll support those male and female who this is their story and they need help and counseling to get free so that we all could do like my mom said, take off your mask. This is me. And it's a story of God's grace, not just my story. So I want to make a couple of comments. One is particularly for those of you who this is your story. And I know that bringing it up today can be triggering. It can cause pain. I want you to hear as I talk about the grace that's available that not only does it cover that, but we sincerely are a place that wants to help you find healing. So if that's part of your story when you're ready, 
we've got a group of people here who that's their story too, women and men. And they would love to journey with you in a confidential and, and private way as you're ready towards hope and healing that you don't have to keep this secret. You can get connected really simply. You email Rebecca Woodman. She's a confidential one, a member of our counseling and pastoral team. And just let her know that you're ready to take a step and we'll help you walk from there. It also means that if you're in that place where you're facing a decision that seems impossible, that you can reach out to our care and counseling department and we wanna help support you in that. But it's not just about that issue. It means if you're dealing with addiction or you're dealing with pride or whatever the other things are that we all bring in, that you can also go to our care and counseling department. The number's up here, 704-716-8775. You can grab one of us, Jonathan or me or other pastors, we're about, look, there's no shame in coming clean with where we don't line up because none of us line up all the way yet, right? Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I had a, a physical and, and I thought it was gonna be kind of like those ones in eighth grade where you have to get, you know, make sure you're okay to participate in sports and it takes like eight minutes and they tell you everything's great. You're good. I mean, you're a healthy 14-year-old. And instead, I get this list of like every possible thing that's wrong with me. You know what I'm talking about? It's different when you're this age. And it's like your LDL, your HDL, your blood pressure, your albumin, your protein, your BMI, we're not, the BMI, whatever, you know, all that stuff. And it's like in one moment, the doctor says, here's everything that's wrong with you, fix it. I want you to hear God and his grace does not hand us the physical results and say, here's everything that's wrong with you all at once reason that we don't have pride and judgment in this place is because God's working at his own pace with each of us to show us where we're not lining up to deal. He said, I want to deal with that. Let's do surgery on that. Nobody is expected to be fully complete because when you're following Jesus, you have not reached your destination, I guarantee you. And because of that, we can have a whole lot of grace with each other. Folks, we're not a Republican or a Democrat church. We're not a red or a blue church. We're not even a purple church. We are a Jesus church that is gonna do everything we can to follow him well. And when we find that we don't line up or match up, we're gonna adjust, trusting that because we keep him first and the message of the gospel is the only unique thing we have to give, and this place is not a courtroom to find judgment, it is a doctor's office to find healing, we open up for everyone and say, come in. Come in and find freedom. That's the message of this church. That's what it means to stand on the essentials. And I pray right now, and I wanna pray for you, that you would find in this very moment, whatever has got the hair on the back of your neck standing up or you're squirming because I touched on something, that you would find right now God's grace. Can I pray that way for you? And would you pray that as well? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are thousands of stories represented in these rooms and online right now of the need for your grace. And scripture, part of having this as our authority and being rooted in it, scripture is full of thousands of stories of different people who needed it and received it freely because that's just the kind of God that you are. And so God, I pray right now that every person who can hear this, 
who is feeling shame or guilt for whatever the issue is, I pray that you would begin to speak louder than those voices of lies from the enemy, that they are not their worst decision. They are not their worst moment. They're not their past God. We are only found in relation to you. So there is the opportunity for each of us by trusting and placing our faith in you, Jesus, to find grace. You made it open to every one of us and we all need it. God, I pray that you would apply it at heart level. I pray that today might be the moment of breakthrough where somebody says, I want freedom and to come out of hiding for whatever the issue is. And I pray that you would guide us to help pastor them through that, God. And I pray for those who aren't ready yet, that you would let this be a moment that they come back to and remember later and say, I heard him say that it's possible. Maybe now it's true. Father, for all of us, apply fresh the recognition of your mercy. And I pray you would build us into the kind of church that so exudes your good news message and the grace and mercy you offer that people couldn't help. Jesus, thank you for making it possible. We love you. We ask all this, praying, believing you hear us and you answer in your beautiful name, amen. Uh, can I ask you to stand up and we're gonna finish with a song. It's uh, kind of an essential basic song. Most of you will probably know it. But the words are so powerful because they remind us of the truth that I just read and spoke to you. And, and they remind us of our common need for it. So, would you sing these not just as words that come out of some ritual road place in your mind or heart, but as they come out fresh, as God speaks to you, let this be declaration as we sing about his amazing grace.